Diane Vivian Rose is a story of enduring friendship over 30 years. But it's a bittersweet journey that starts with three very different women who all find themselves sharing a house at uni. I met up with playwright and actor Amelia Bullmore in London, and as she explains, this play and the woman she is today owe a lot to her own experiences as a naive student in the 1980s. I had had a pretty uh, sheltered London life. I'd been at a girls' secondary school, done lots and lots of plays. If I'd had my way and gone to a London drama school, I think I would have kept blinkers on for some time. But by this fantastically lucky accident of going to Manchester, I met people I'd never met before. I went to places I'd never gone before. My mind just expanded uh, over those three years and I did meet fantastic people and I also learnt where I fitted in. I got a sense of context much, much bigger than I'd had in my London bubble. When the play starts, it's 1983 and you know it's 1983 from the clothes and you know it's 83 from the fact that they're using a payphone but there's not that much else, is there, that really anchors it in a specific time. You don't have lots of politics in there. You don't have people saying, oh, it's 1985 and it's Live Aid or anything like that. I thought about it, I wondered, and then I thought, that wasn't my impetus for writing the play. And I didn't want to just shoehorn in nods to the times. It is about friendship more than anything. And you have to start them then because you have to get them to midlife nowish. And of course, that is the time I was 18 and at university and had made those kinds of discoveries. And when you're the age that the girls are when they start in the play, at that moment, really, your friends take up the mantle for providing all the loves you need. And I wanted to show how your friends can really put you straight about things, which isn't comfortable. So I wanted all the grating and clashing and hilarity of that young friendship and to just see it grow and different forces acting on those friends because I'm very fascinated by luck seems to me for all that we think we can um, determine things we are horribly at the mercy of luck it's even luck what you're made of whether you're made of rubber or glass you know so even if the same thing happens to you as to somebody else it won't impact in the same way. And, of course, vicissitudes happen to all three of them. They all three have traumas and dramas that we don't want to divulge. When you went about creating those three characters, were you thinking of them in terms of, you know, how the plot will hang off each individual personality, or was it more organic in terms of picking their traits? It's a good question because, of course, you've got to try and do both those things. You want... People You want living, breathing people who aren't just positions. Equally, you've got a plan and you've got things that you want to air and you've got things that you want to happen. So you've got to make your people uh, push and pull together. You've got Rose, who is so merrily promiscuous. And you've got Viv, who she's keeping her powder dry. She's got a plan. And it's very, very rare at 18 to have a plan and that in order to get there she's got to graft whereas Rose is utterly surrendered to the moment whatever kind of pleasure it is she's taking pleasure in life all the time and then die really because Viv and Rose are 
so far apart, without Di, they would never be friends. And it's arguably Viv and Rose who shape each other the most. But without Di, who is so um, comfortable in her own skin and so well-adjusted, that she can, without any rupture of identity, she can stretch to Viv and she can stretch to Rose. So she's got this central elasticity, which is how they mesh in the end. But... It's an accident they live together. And, of course, Di is also exploring her sexuality, as she says in your play, you know. Actually, I can't remember that quote exactly, but presumably um, you can. She, she moves back in with her mum after university. Then she, she says, uh, I've gone backwards. I've gone back to fish on Fridays and not being a lesbian. And of those characters, Di and Viv and Rose, do you identify with any one of them more than the other, or are you a bit of each? I think a bit of each. In fact, my niece saw it, and she she was about 12 when she saw it, and she said, Rose is granny. And Rose is very like my mum in terms of her unfaked, childlike openness and um, interest in the world. So that bit of me is definitely in Rose via my mum. And Viv, well, I don't think I'm particularly like Viv. But I love Viv, and sometimes the actresses playing Viv say, "Oh, she's not very nice." But actually, audiences love Viv, and she's incisive, and she's not a pleaser, and that's very uh, exciting and admirable. I think I definitely I've got dies. Um, Come on, everybody, let's not argue. <laughs> I've definitely got that quality. But equally, I don't know under duress if I would be as formidably um, courageous as Di is. How does writing a play like uh, Di and Viv and Rose compare to, say, writing detective drama and Scott and Bailey? In some ways, when you get to a scene and you're trying to engineer that scene to do what you want it to do without the scaffolding popping through the canvas, you know, keep your plan hidden make it seem like a real conversation, but nevertheless, you've got these things you need done to happen. That's exactly the same, the craft of it. But with something like Scott and Bailey, when you're writing an episode of that, you've got all these uh, genre constraints and you can't really afford time-wise, although, of course, it's the stuff that everybody likes most, is the non-plot stuff. Mm. And you have to kind of weld anything non-plotty to plot so that it's uncuttable. You have to sort of twist it together. When you're writing a play like Dying Viv and Rose, it's your heart's desire to write that play. Uh, you're burning to bring these people to life and tell this story and try and see if you can do this thing you want to do. One is your own head, I've got to write that. And the other one is a contract, which is, yes, I will do my very best to write that. If you've thought of actually taking those characters and putting them in TV in, in some other form? I've been asked to do it in for TV. I've been asked to do it as a film. I've been asked to do it on the radio, and I've said no every time. And a tiny bit of it is, I've done that, I've written it, it's over. But most of it is, it is a play, it's a play, it's a play. You have to see them. Um, you should see that they're not the age they are, which is what growing old is like. You feel the same, but you don't look the same. And also that you can report back to youth in a way which is different from guessing forward to age. And you should also watch three people work 
their backs off for the duration of the play because that's what it's about too. It's about collaboration and that's moving in itself to see those three people do everything for the play. It's a really exhausting show to do. So I say, no, it's a play. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for explaining the play. <laughs> My pleasure. And Die and Riven Rose is on at Southbank Theatre, The Sumner, from August the 12th until September the 16th. Book online at mtc.com.au or phone the box office on 03 Or search for MTC Talks in the iTunes Store or on SoundCloud. <laughs>